welcome to a very special Halloween episode of our Everyday Science of series. This week we'll be delving into the depths of what makes your hair stand on end, heart race a million miles an hour, and sweat buckets. Of course I'm referring to fear. As we're around spooky season, I thought I'd gather a couple of friends and experts in the subject of fear and make a little podcast. So without further ado, alongside myself, I have my fellow spooksters, Shelley Farrah-Stokes and Prana Kasiva Kumar. I asked you both to join me here as I reckon you both have some really cool insights. Uh, Pranika from your neuroscience background and Shelley from your more anthropology and forensics backgrounds. Uh, both of these fields sort of interact with fear in a different way. So to start, Pranika, I was hoping that you could explain the topic of fear a little more from your viewpoint. Sure. So fear is generally known as that bad feeling you have when you're in danger or when something frightens you. Now, there's a lot that occurs very quickly in your body when this happens. So if something happens that scares you, for example, someone jumping out to scare you from behind a door, this stimulus triggers a chain reaction in the brain. One of the parts of the brain the information comes through to, which is called the amygdala, is also known as the fear center of our brains. If danger is perceived, then it will send a distress signal down to the hypothalamus, which acts like a command center. And through the release of hormones, it activates the sympathetic nervous system to trigger physiological changes throughout your body. So your heart rate goes up, you might start breathing faster, your muscles tighten, and this is essentially the fight or flight response. Now, all of this happens in a split second before your conscious brain has even processed the threat. The parts of the brain that I've referred to here are all part of the limbic system, which is thought to be among the oldest parts of our brain in evolutionary terms, which explains why fear is thought to be our most primal emotion. And Shelley, maybe you could talk us through more of the anthropology of fear and the various forms we've sort of developed as a society. There's actually an adaptive evolutionary framework for thinking about fear. It is this idea that fear is a more is part of a more basic, broader survival system. That fight or flight response to the stimuli of an approaching predator will help you survive. So an appropriate level of anxiety and fear probably had a selective advantage. It's actually really fascinating to think about how this evolutionary response helps and hinders us in modern life. On the more negative side, there is a theory that people with generalized anxiety disorders have a predisposition for anxiety that would have provided an evolutionary advantage. This is because worrying about dangers in a dangerous environment could help you reduce risk. But with modern life having fewer immediate threats with this predisposition can have a more detrimental effect. And then a more positive effect is that fear is now being used to thrill and entertain us when we consume media like horror films. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like we get a lot of enjoyment out of fear now. Um... Why do we like being scared? So when we get scared, we actually experience a rush of adrenaline and a release of endorphins and dopamine. So this biochemical rush, when it's within an environment that we know to be safe, can give us a sort of natural high. Even if you don't particularly enjoy that feeling of fear in the moment, there can be um, a rush after the fact. If you feel like you've been, you have faced your fear, there can be an accompanying boost in self-esteem and a sense of achievement. I'm actually a big fan of horror films, and I definitely think there is an addictive quality to that kind of adrenaline rush and sense of satisfaction. It just makes me want to watch more. I do think we can sometimes become a bit desensitized to these things too, though. 
I love listening to true crime podcasts and often even find myself falling asleep listening to them. So I don't think that's evoking the fear response you might expect there. I do tend to watch quite a lot of scary TV and, and read a lot of scary bits and pieces. So usually, you know, like thriller video games uh, just before bed is a really dumb move for me, but one I always fall into. It sort of brings me on to my other point that I wanted to make on things that have been produced from fear. Uh, we have the likes of, you know, zombies, demons, vampires, monsters, all of these things. And I wanted to discuss some of the the history of these and why these, these things, it sounds um, sort of oxymoronic, but it's a, a mainstream mythical being, I guess. Um, so I've, like I said, I'm a, quite a big fan of, of zombies and the walking dead and that kind of thing. Um, so our take on uh, sort of the lumbering undead as we see them on the big screen is sort of a continually evolving thing. So I did a little uh, Susie Dent origin of words hunting and to find out why we called them zombies, how they've got their characteristics and things like that. Um, so firstly, the name zombie uh, in quite a lot of zombie things, you know, The Walking Dead is a big example. They don't use the term zombie. And it's actually come from a few West African languages where uh, words like Nzumbi and Nzambi, which means sort of corpse and spirit of the undead, they've, they've been used when there's been stories of witch doctors uh, turning living people, possibly through things like hypnosis and brainwashing, into sort of like a, a walking, non-talking corpse to act as their slave. The whole brains idea, you know, eating brains and things like that, didn't actually come along until the first sort of zombie films back in the, the 70, 60s, 70s, 80s. And I, I really did a deep dive because I was like, why, are, why would zombies eat brains? It, it's the, the most difficult part of uh, the body for it surely a zombie to get into. And the only thing I could find was uh, in the mid-80s, the only answer that I could find was that um, the serotonin in brains and guts could be helping them to sort of ease the pain of living and things like, well, not living. So yeah, it, it was a really interesting little deep dive. I was wondering whether anyone else did a bit of a origin dive before uh, coming today. <laughs> yeah, I was having a look at vampires, which is another interesting one to mention. So loads of cultures like the ancient Greeks, Mesopotamians and Romans all had tales of these demonic entities and blood drinking spirits, which are thought to be precursors to what we call vampires today. And I looked in folklore, uh, there are a lot of tales of nighttime visitations from spirits and demons. And it seems like these stories actually have a scientific explanation that is, I think, quite scary in itself. The descriptions of these visits sound very similar to the description of a condition called sleep paralysis. This is where the sufferer has a temporary inability to move that occurs right after falling asleep or on waking up. And it's often connected with vivid and sometimes terrifying hallucinations. It's a bit more common than you think. Uh, researchers believe in that about 8% of people experience sleep paralysis at some point in their life. What I find particularly interesting is that hallucinations change depending on the temporal and cultural context of the sufferer. So people are now less likely to hallucinate demons, but sleep paralysis might explain other creepy stories such as alien abduction. Yeah, I wonder if these used to be sort of smaller fears that people had uh, and due to the, 
the rise of uh, these characters being used in films, have more people have listed them as fears of their own. Uh, for instance, you know, I'm I absolutely hate clowns, and this whole killer clown thing that has been played to death in films is just not the one for me. Um, but I've never had sort of like a any kind of creepy or traumatic experience with a, a clown in my life. Um, so I don't know where that fear has come from. Um, for, uh, as well, my, my partner, she's got pretty a pretty horrendous fear of fireworks, um, which I only learned about after taking her to a New Year's fireworks show a couple of years ago. Uh, yet she's the same. She's never had um, a bad experience with fireworks at all. So, uh, Shelley, I suppose you'd be the best to answer. Are there any sort of theories on genetic fear? As you know, is it a weird evolutionary thing? Have I got this from a past experience my parents have had? <laughs> so there are studies showing that twins who are raised separately have a higher than average rate of developing um, similar fears or phobias but no specific genes relating to phobias have been determined. Some phobias run in families with first degree relatives of phobia sufferers more likely to develop a phobia, but this is really difficult to untangle from learned behavior and experience. Then about a decade ago, there was a lot of excitement around the field of epigenetics and if it can explain cases of intergenerational fears and traumas. So epigenetics is basically the study of chemical tags on genes that are caused by environmental factors. So there was one experiment with male mice that were exposed to extreme stress and they found that their offspring experienced heightened fear responses and increased stress hormone levels despite never experiencing the stressful environment their fathers and grandfathers endured. So there've been a lot of studies looking at this in humans, but there just isn't a credible physiological mechanism that would make this work. Epigenetics doesn't seem to be a valid mechanism as more recent studies have found that epigenetic markers in humans are erased from the genetic material of egg and sperm soon after fertilization. But there is evidence of evolutionary conditioning for some fears and phobias. The classic example being the common fear of snakes and spiders. So in lab experiments, people are faster to detect pictures of snakes and spiders among other images and to more quickly form fear associations to pictures of these snakes and spiders than to pictures of modern weapons like guns and knives, despite the fact that the latter are much more dangerous in modern environments. So it does appear that a response to certain fear stimuli may actually be an evolved predisposition. Oh, cool. Okay, so whereabouts in our evolutionary history did this sort of evolve? That's quite difficult to pin down but there is evidence for fear of snakes through much of the primate order. Um, the evidence for fears relating to spiders is much more mixed. There's an interesting study where captive macaques were taught to play a sort of odd one out game with animal images. So the macaques responded faster to images of snakes amongst non-scary non animals, uh, which in this case were koalas, and, but in comparison to spiders amongst koalas, which was a slower response time. This indicates that spiders are not an evolutionarily relevant threat stimuli in non-human primates, and this particular fear is very human. That makes me feel a lot better knowing that because I'm terrified of spiders. I used to be terrified of spiders, but I had um, a odd experience where I once woke up and I wasn't able to see properly out of one eye and I couldn't understand why. So I went to the bathroom mirror and there I could see a spider just covering my eye so I couldn't open it and panicked, 
but now I feel like the worst has happened and I don't really have that same fear anymore. Oh God, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's traumatic. I keep imagining it and it's just awful. <laughs> the best bit is that I actually like ran into my sister's room because it was slightly closer and like flung it off. And then she was like, what the hell's that? And then my dad had to deal with both of us screaming, which is great. Oh, yeah, I suppose there's there's quite a lot of common phobias that we've mentioned, sort of snakes and spiders. I mentioned clowns. Um, things like claustrophobia as well. Are there any others that you can really think of that you'd like to mention at this point? Well, I think the fear of long words deserves a mention. The name for this fear is probably one of the longest words I've ever seen, which is just cruel. Um, I can't even try and say it. I don't know if any of you can. It's uh, it's kind of my party trick now. I can I can pronounce the fear of long words word. <laughs> um, Hippopotamonstrosequipdeliophobia. Yes, <laughs> smashed it. Um, but yeah, so that is the fear of long words, which is a stupidly long word. That's a really great party trick. <laughs> um, another interesting one is phobophobia, which is the fear of fears. It's actually more common than you might think. For example, if you had a panic attack while you were sailing, you might develop a fear of sailing in the future, but you might also develop a fear of panic attacks or a fear of developing hydrophobia. Interestingly, some of the most common symptoms of phobias following a traumatic event are very similar to symptoms of PTSD, which also affects a lot of people. I just realised as well, we didn't talk about FOMO. That's probably the biggest fear. <laughs> You're missing out. Um, but yeah, I suppose, uh, yeah, so thanks for, for that little discussion. That was uh, really interesting. I guess to, to finish off, I wanted to sort of test my resident spooks to the little game of what's that phobia um as you can tell from my fantastic pronunciation before these are going to be no problem um so i have a couple here that are quite interesting um one of them is nomophobia i can give you a little clue if you need <laughs> so my clue is that pretty much the entirety of Generation Z and I'd say my generation as well uh, struggle with this. Is that the one that's um, that, where it's like no mobile phone phobia? <laughs> yeah, the fear of being without your mobile phone, which sounds like a ridiculous fear to me. <laughs> um, I've also got, I think it's arachibutrophobia. But if I'm mispronouncing that, you're never going to guess it. <laughs> um, this is a, an incredible... I wasn't expecting you to get this one either, to be honest, because it is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Um, the, the third one is actually my favourite one, and it's um, anatidiophobia. Um, I'm not sure the fear that somewhere, somehow, a duck is staring at you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and finally, um, more on brands, there is Samhainophobia. Anyone know that one? I did give you a clue with on brand. Fear of Halloween. Yes. Um, fear of Halloween. Um, well, uh, thankfully, as of yet, there isn't something listed as fear of podcasts. So there is nothing stopping any of you, our listeners, from checking out our other great content on the Scientific Podcasting Network. Smooth. Very smooth. Thanks. <laughs>
Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd like to thank you both for joining me for this cool discussion on everything to do with fear. Please get in touch with us on Twitter at SciPodNet if you'd like to request any more topics. And we'll be back with another episode before you know it. You've been listening to the Scientific Podcasting Network. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at SciPodNet for more episodes and our latest news. Thanks for listening.